So welcome to the show. I'm David Speed. I'm Adam Brazier. And this is Creative Rebels. Uh, it's a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. We started our first company, Graffiti Life, in a small garage. Yeah, it wasn't easy. But we built the company up to the stage where now we're regularly working with brands like Disney and Nike. And we've been lucky enough to make art all over the world. On this podcast, we interview successful creators. Their advice will enable you to take action and turn your passion into a career. There's literally been no better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people are going to tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to tell you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Hey Rebels. Hey guys. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Creative Rebels. Every Monday, we release a blog post on rebelscreate.com. And this week's post was about working for free, which uh, people can get really passionate about. Yeah, it's a very controversial thing. I think we've built a lot of our business off working for free. Uh, There's definitely massive benefits to it. And I think in the right occasions, you should definitely work for free. Yeah, so I talk about it in the blog, but there's a few different things that you can gain from working for free that aren't necessarily money. I know one thing I've read a lot is people saying, oh, I'll just see if my landlord accepts exposure and I'll get back to you. And I totally get that. But we do have to remember that exposure is actually really valuable. Yeah. I think if you worked in the property industry, your landlord might give you a discount if you could fill up 10 of his properties. But chances are that's not the case. Yeah, that's one thing I talk about in the blog is bartering whilst you may not be able to get paid for it what it does the client who's asking you for your services what do they do that they might be able to help you with so Mm. if you've got a friend and they want you to design a logo for their website and in return they'll cook your birthday cake for your mum like whatever it is that they do there might be something there that you can swap skills exchange yeah and I think understanding that balance as well having that on the birthday cake example there if you said yeah, that was okay, a terrible example no, but i think it's fine because it's like you said okay I, I can do you a logo and they said i can give you one cake and you thought actually that one cake to me isn't worth as much as this logo but if you can make me three cakes for my mum for my grand and my brother then i think that's an equal deal and i think it's having that back and forth and thinking of your time as money and if that was a monetary transaction you wouldn't just be like, yes, I'll do that for £50, but you might do it for 150 So work out that balance. Yeah, people don't get specific, do they? They they sort of go in being helpful and because they're being helpful, they're being nice and they haven't set boundaries and clear deliverables, yeah. which is really important. And we talk about that a little with our guest in our next episode, which is Dave Core. Dave Core is a musician, a producer, He's also got his own record label. Uh, His band, The Expansions, have Spotify plays that exceed 32,000 plays every month. Um, He's generally just doing what he loves, which is music, um, and turning it into a career, which is what we're all about, basically. In this episode, we talk about learning from experts, sounds of South London, and the importance of working for free. If you feel you can learn something from what you're about to do or what you're agreeing to do for free if you can get something from it then you've invested in your business i'm really happy today to be joined by one of my good friends mr dave core from the band the expansions who are tearing it up at the moment how long have we known each other dave oh man uh actually 
probably a good 15 years yeah i think about 18 years yeah 18 years yeah, i reckon right. i reckon it's, right yeah about. i mean it's getting on to the a bloody long time yeah, yeah. really long time <laughs> dave's one of my my very good friends i'm like so glad to have you on thanks man glad we were we were talking earlier about how so many musicians have a problem with imposter syndrome and feeling mm. like they don't belong yes it's real it's a thing and um it can be really debilitating as well. I know people that have stopped playing as a result of it. It's, you, yeah, you just never think you're good enough. You never think that you deserve what you've been, what you've got or what you've been fortunate enough to, I don't know, to um, to build yourself, I guess. Um, it's, it's a real thing, I think. Yeah, I, I suffer from it real bad. I think that one of the first times I got it was I just... It was when I'd literally just started buying my studio. Um, I was buying bits and pieces. I hadn't been playing live for years. I played keys. I hadn't been playing live for a long time and a band asked me to play with them. And it was just like wedding stuff. Like it was nothing incredible. And uh, they sent me this list of tunes that I had to learn and it was just MP3s. Like they didn't send me any music or anything. And um, I had to work out like Stevie Wonder tunes, which if you're a musician, like that's, <laughs> like, that's not easy. Stevie has a way of writing and just, yeah, uh, having to le- having to work things out like that was an instant like, oh my goodness, my, like my ear's not good enough. My knowledge of chords isn't good enough. Like there's just no way that I'm going to be able to fulfill, fulfill this role. And I think, yeah, I, I ended up having to call the keys player and was like, could you just come around like one time and just show me? And, um, and he came around and it was totally cool and... He showed me what was happening and it was at that point that I sort of started exploring other chord avenues like without getting too tech music, um, just opening up the world of possibilities musically that I could find by by using different notes in different orders. Yeah, <laughs> and, um, it's, it's so yeah, mad, it's, isn't it? Especially when like, because I, I look at you, so obviously known you for 18 years yeah. and with you, like it was always music. Yeah. It was always music. Like there was yeah. no, there was never any doubt from the day I met you, you were already deep in the music. And, yeah. I, and I, all of our friends really, like I, I was yeah. the one who was doing art, <laughs> everyone else was doing music. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But I think, like, I look at you, I look at the expansions your band. Like, yeah. obviously, they're smashing it at the moment. Like, yeah. you guys are... James posted up how many listens you've Oh, had, the like, Spotify stats. Yeah, yeah. How, yeah. Many, how many listens? This year, we had nearly one million streams. It was, like, 910,000 streams or something from nearly half a million listeners, which, I mean, we've been around for a few years. We have been around for a few years. I think our, well, our first release was in 2013, we worked for a couple of years, we put a couple of things out and then we kind of went quiet because we ended up working with a couple of other artists and just, who just used us as their backing band essentially. And so when we sort of started the, the whole cycle of um, recording the album and releasing the album and trying to figure out a schedule to, to, to build up um, excitement about the album, um, we approached it like we were a completely new band. Like there was no other way to, we could have been like, yeah, we've been here for years and it's taken us four years to get to this point. And four years is pretty lame. Like it takes people, you know, some people take six months and they're just banging out albums because of, but, um, but we wanted to approach it like we were a new band. I think though, like those people, it takes six months. They've obviously got 
20 years of playing behind them yeah for that to happen you know? i think yeah i think i think there's that i think there's i mean we we went like fully in on this album like i scored and arranged for string quartet for some of the tracks and had you know string players like top class string players come around to my house um to record string parts for the album and stuff like that so it wasn't just a case of sitting down at a computer banging in a load of beats adding a bass line adding some chords and adding some cool sound effects like it wasn't like that like this this was four of us spending a lot of time in a rehearsal studio writing and conceiving and and fine-tuning everything to a point where we were happy for for it to go on the album so so let's go back like how did you guys meet so we met i was um i was promoting a night in brixton uh in like 2004 no 2005 2006 something like that and johnny the drummer uh we booked his band that he was with in uh that he was with at the time and um yeah basically ended up chatting to him stayed in touch he ended up coming down to a few of my dj gigs things like that and we ended up playing in like a rock and roll band together like straight like dickdale surf sort of stuff like it was loads of fun we had a great time things went a little bit sour with that as they sometimes do and we both ended up leaving and but wanted to carry on working together and at the time uh, a friend of ours friend of ours band size nine were sort of just starting to tie things up and wanted to stop working together um and matt and james the bass player and the guitar player from that band were looking for a new project to join and so that was it right basically like we all kind of got got in the room together it didn't actually start out with johnny it started out with another guy called eric and but then he was strange (laughs) (laughs) so we stopped working with him and gave johnny a call and it's just been johnny ever since basically so yeah it's funny when you i think when you find those people that you click with there's something that organically happens like the people who aren't meant for because it's the same in business the people who aren't meant for our business they fall by the wayside totally the people who are meant for it are attracted to it and come to it there is you have to pick and choose who you work with out of your friends i think that's a lesson that i've really really learned um you can be mates and you can try working together and if it doesn't work then just go back to being mates like call off the business it's not worth doing it because you'll end up not being in business and not being mates. Things just happen. People, people are funny in business. It's so hard, isn't it? And it then, is really and hard. then, especially when you're, we mentioned Size Nine. Um, yeah. That was that was our, our friends' band yeah. who we all thought that they were destined for greatness. Yeah, we'd go to those gigs and the energy yeah. was so high and the tunes were so good. Totally. And, and uh, Adam, you came to a couple of the gigs. Yeah, like um, they were, yeah, they were just rocking. And, yeah. And I think they were talking to Sony at one point. And but yeah. when you've got like when you've got ten people in a band and like mm. one paycheck, which is then yeah. things it's going to be awkward. It is awkward, and I mean I think even now in music it's still really awkward, and I'm sure in arts it's in in general it's probably quite awkward. I know photographers who have got years of experience behind them still getting asked to work for free. Yeah, I get asked to work for free. It happens. It's one of those. And things. how how do you feel about working for free? Is it something that you ever uh, do? Or yeah, yeah, I do. Um, yeah, I think you have to. I think there's there's you have to make a choice between whether or not it's paying you in pocket, 
um, or you're investing time into your business, if you feel you can learn something from what you're about to do or what you're agreeing to do for free, if you can get something from it, then you've invested in your business. Um, so don't see it as a, I've, done, I've just done a free gig, if there's something that you can take from it. Yeah, 100%. And, and I think in music and probably art, it's the same thing. Like anyone new to work with is a new experience and you, learn, you can learn so much from just sitting down in a studio with, like in, from, in my case, like in a studio with someone new that I've never worked with before or someone that I believe in, someone that I think might end up doing really well. Like I've had a couple of artists recently that I've been recording with um, who haven't been able to pay me but they've got good people behind them and it looks like their path is um, is building nicely. And as a result of that, I felt it was in my favour to work with them. So I ended up doing, you know, one or two days in the studio, nothing more than that. I'm not not going crazy, not going to spend weeks with them. But, yeah, sure. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy to put some time in if I think that there's some prospect in a in a we feel that our business was built off the back mm. of free work yeah because we met so many mm-hmm. contacts and did so many valuable mm-hmm. projects and still now we take on charity projects that yeah. we'll do for free if it's some if it's a cause that we believe in yeah exactly because um, i think street right. art is such a powerful communicator that mm-hmm. we can use it for good we do a lot of commercial projects and we work for companies who are paying lots of money but then it's yeah. really nice for us to be able to then turn around and use some of that money Definitely. to put it back into spreading the awareness of, of a charity like we, we did a wall last year for a mental health charity like, right. which was huge um, and did really really well so yeah I think I think um, free work can be used it's it's a value exchange and I think if someone's trying yeah. to take advantage of you yeah. then that's when you need to be that's when wary. you've got to say no yeah. that's when you've got to say no I mean when I say you've got to be able to take something from it that could be it could be a good opportunity for you to create a mailing list or get more names on onto your mailing list. Or it could be that there's someone in the audience who you really want them to hear and you know that they're going to be at that gig. And as a result, like, you know, we take on free work. We've had a couple of gigs this year that have been free. I've been fortunate, like, this year a lot of my stuff's been paid, a lot of the stuff that I've done, or 90% of the stuff that I've done, but... Yeah, it's still, without a doubt, if free work comes up that I think is valuable for me to do, then I'll do it. And it's maximising those opportunities as yeah. well, isn't it? It's like, yeah. I think a lot of people just go through the motions and they yeah. and they don't squeeze yeah. squeeze the job hard enough. If you're there for free, yeah. then you need to earn your money. So go and talk, speak to every talk single to person everyone, in the room it. and just like network your ass off. Like exactly. Make it work for you, make it worth it. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. I mean, in, year, in years past, like that, that would be my modus operandi like there was one tour that i ended up doing um i'm not going to mention the record label because i really like the record label um but they didn't pay me um but what i got from it was access to one of the best studios in london um and more gigs just off the back of it and if that if that's all i earned from doing two weeks of travel around europe you know that then paid for like the next six months to a year's worth of work that I did so yeah two weeks is nothing out of those uh, out of that year to invest that time into building up some building something up and then it sorts you out for the rest of the year it's great yeah I think that's that's one of the things that (coughs) especially with creative people that drives me mad is when they say I don't have time Mm. it's like 
all all we have is time you've yeah. just you've just got to work out like what works best mm-hmm. and di- like divert your time into yeah. that and i think too many people will use that as an excuse to oh, i don't have time but you've got time to binge watch netflix or whatever. yeah exactly like, you've got time to sit there for like three hours and play red dead redemption or whatever it is like yeah and like i don't do it and like i think so i because i've been reading a lot online and especially on the topic of working for free yeah and a lot of people are getting quite angry about it and and saying like oh i can't pay my bills with with exposure and all of this stuff which is fine i i get that if someone's trying to take advantage of you but Mm. if the alternative is and it's a pride thing like i'm not i'm not going to go but instead yeah. you're going to like if you've got a paid gig yeah. then fine but if instead you're going to stay at home and play red dead then yeah. do the fucking free work like yeah. just exactly. do it like what exactly. have you got to lose like exactly yeah you, you might as well it's just yeah I, I i agree i don't people that and people that just say no to free work flat out you've got to yeah you've got to think of it as in another way it's not just about your wallet at that point. Yeah. So um, we grew up together, Dave, in a very special place. Oh, so dear to my heart. <laughs> in Croydon. Um, <laughs> and it's funny. And we laugh and like we, we take the piss out of it. But like... Up and coming area now. Well, yeah, it is now. I mean, <laughs> yeah. A friend, a friend of ours flipped their house. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the place to be. But um, I, there's something about that area, though, like that has just created so many like hungry yeah. creative people that have come that have come from Croydon. Have like. you managed to figure out what it is yet though? Cuz I I just I'm baffled. Like maybe it's roosters. Maybe it was roosters <laughs> chicken that just <laughs> something in their batter. Just <laughs> I'm not quite sure. I don't know though, but you're right. Like there's so many people that came out of It's nuts, isn't it? Croydon like creative wise, yeah. And it's so funny when I meet someone like I mm. I literally met someone where were we? Oh, we were in the Caribbean. Right. And I met someone from Croydon no. <laughs> in the Caribbean just randomly. And like, you just, you're normal human beings having a chat. Yeah. Like you hear an English accent and you're like, oh yeah, 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 yeah hello, yeah. how's it going? Where are you from? Croydon. Whoa, what? me too. <laughs> and it's like this, like... Whereabouts? Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? It's so crazy. Like, I don't know what, what yeah. the thing is, but when you meet another person from Croydon, it's just this, like, mm. this is this mad thing. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, maybe it's like some kind of like underdog syndrome or something like that. I don't know, like because people do look down on the area. Like. Yeah, I mean, there are so many areas of London that are poor and that are poorer than Croydon, and I'm not trying to suggest that it's that because of a certain level of poverty. But you often find that creativity comes out of areas that are lacking in certain areas yeah. socially. Um, you know, it seems to move around London though, right? Like it started off West London, then you had a bit in North and then East and now South. Like South London, like the actual, the whole music scene in general is coming from South London. Yeah, Anything that's, that's sort of big and good at the moment seems to be emanating from there. And I think, yeah, Croydon's had its massive part of its fair share of people coming out of there. Um, I remember working in Virgin Mega Stores and um, Loafer coming in and yeah. giving me a CD. Yeah. And he was like, "Oh, it's this, it's this new mu- music I'm working on. Like, have, yeah. have a listen. Let me know what you think." Yeah. And uh, and yeah. that was dubstep, which was, didn't yeah. exist. Which <laughs> like, I remember it was listening like to. Goat stare, rough mix, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Madness. And I remember listening to that CD, just going, "What is this? I don't. I didn't understand it. It's not drum and bass. It's not yeah. garage. Like, what yeah, is it? What, what even?" And I, I couldn't get my head around it. Mate, Mala played, like, or 
there was a concert, I think it was the Royal Festival Hall, like three nights ago with an orchestra. Maller, like who used to come down to my drum and bass night and MC. Yeah, <laughs> like, I remember MCing two Maller. So embarrassing. <laughs> MC I remember M- I remember MCing two Maller on East Croydon train station <laughs> when I thought I was going to be a fucking rapper. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "What do you think, bro?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, sick, sick, really good. Keep keep practicing. Keep, going. Keep, <laughs> keep working on it." <laughs> Mate, I mean, you know, like mates that we've grown up with that are now doing so well, like seeing it's him, it? it's amazing. I'm so, yeah, it's really, it's really nice to see. It's really nice to see. It's I mean, insane. even one of my old school pals, Matt, um, like he's doing really well for himself. He's working out, he's living in New York at the moment. He's working for all these, he's a composer. He's like getting flown back over to do two days at Abbey Road with the BBC Concert Orchestra and like... You know, we were sort of sat there with our centre partings and undercuts listening to <laughs> placebo, like, in the in the lunch hall, like, age 14. It's, yeah, yeah, it's really nice to see. And yourself, obviously, right? You know, you're doing, doing all right, isn't it? Doing all right, doing all right. But, um, but yeah, I, but I, I can't figure out what it is about no. Croydon, specifically. Like, I, I don't think... I think it's... Maybe it's an amalgamation of things. I've always... I think Croydon would have paid more respect to the music that it's created um, if there was a university there. Because there is no students. Then the Brit School's enough. Yeah, Brit School's not enough. It's just not enough people that go there to Mm. make it a movement. If there'd been a uni there, if there'd been 5,000 additional young adults there, Dovstep would have just, like... Everyone knows it's from Croydon, but, like, everyone would have known it was from Croydon. Yeah, and I crazy. think that that's what that's what's let Croydon down, because everyone who reaches the age of eighteen, they've got they can't go to uni there, because there's no uni, leave, yeah. so they've got to leave. Yeah, you've either got to leave or you yeah or you that, get a retail yeah. job and you stick around and then and you then never that, leave. And then that demographic has just that like the clubbing demographic has just disappeared overnight. Like every September, you've got another yeah. however many kids leaving the area. Like so that's that's why I think it's never really taken off in the area, despite, you know, what's his name? Uh Skrillex shouting out Croydon in his Grammy acceptance speech a couple of years ago. <laughs> no way, Skrillex yeah, from yeah, Croydon. Yeah. No, no, no. But no, he but he just oh, he's, cause he makes dubstep EDM right, right. yeah, sort of yeah, stuff. He yeah. was like, Yeah, shout out Croydon. Like at the Grammys. Insane. Yes. Insane. About as high as we're ever going to get, I think. <laughs> but that's the thing, we say we. Yeah, well, like it's yeah. This, it's this, it's like, this community. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, we're all from there. There's no denying it. Yeah, yeah it's so funny. <laughs> One thing like I've always noticed is any sort of big event that our friends were celebrating, be it New Year's mm-hmm. or someone's birthday, the question would always be, where's Dave? Right. He's DJing. <laughs> Oh. always 100% right. and it's like oh you look really sad like I love you man don't worry like it's, it's, it's all good because everyone knew that that, that yeah. was what you were doing like your work ethic is like just mm. like second to none it was really it was really inspiring like we were just getting pissed like you were yeah, working yeah. do you know what I mean I, I don't think I've ever spent a new year's with you other than perhaps when we went to Hootenanny in Brixton when I think you were DJing. I was DJing. Once. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was still DJing. 2008. Yeah, I remember that one. 2009. One. Georgie like was that. there and yeah, I remember that. But yeah, no, this year will be my first New Year's off. I'm taking New Year's off this year. I got offered a couple of things. I was like, nah. 
Right, okay, well, I have to see you on New Year's. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna. What's I'm gonna, the plan? I don't know. I might just not do anything, which would be really <laughs> novel. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy, right? <laughs> like maybe I'll stay in. Hmm, sounds good. I could drink tea there. Sounds even better. Uh, <laughs> rock and roll lifestyle. Yeah, man, yeah. Totally. <laughs> totally. You're like you've been building your success for for mm. such a long time, from literally from. Shout out Black Sheep Bar. Yeah, man. I'm um, in Croydon where you used to where you used to DJ. It's so nice for me as a friend to mm. just see the success that mm. you're getting now because it's it's validation for yeah. like those hours of work that you've put in. Years and years and years of work. Yeah. Although, and again, yeah, so much love to Black Sheep Bar, but leaving there was probably the best move I ever made. Yeah. Just getting out of there. Getting essentially getting out of Croydon, and that was because you you'd become habitual and it and you weren't yeah. pushing yourself anymore. Yeah, yeah. There was just it was just a routine. I knew exactly what I was doing. I knew that I'd be there a couple of nights a week, three nights a week. I get paid enough to pay for everything that I need to pay for. No drive to get anywhere else. That is the most dangerous <clears throat> yeah. place to be. Is yeah. comfortable. Hundred percent. Was it hard 100%. to make that decision? It kind of got made for me, bit by bit. I guess the music that I was playing at the time that I'd relied on and got comfortable with stopped being relevant. And I'd, yeah, it just, it just, it kind of naturally drew to a close my work there. And at the time I was just starting to do a bit more of the live stuff. And then that opened up a whole load of different avenues and got me back into the DJing through one of the guys that I was working with live. He used to run events. So I'd end up, playing there and going playing funk 45s um for him in you know jazz cafe or madam jojo's or um yeah a few few different spots around london so yeah so that uh, i think that was it was a good thing it was a good thing to leave there yeah i um, think yeah i think you should always be pushing and, and like mm. and questioning what, like what's next mm. Because um, otherwise, yeah, you're getting comfortable and just staying in the same places. Yeah, it's yeah. destructive. Yeah, completely. So and if you're a young musician and looking at your path, it's just like it's work, 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 work. Yeah. If you're a young musician and like, how do you get booked for gigs? Like, is it is it who you know? Is it networking? Is it cold calling, cold emailing? Yeah, a little bit of that. It's, I mean, obviously times have massively changed from when I was young and doing that to now um you know things back then like the internet didn't really i mean it wasn't it wasn't used anywhere near as much as it is today so the way that i did it was by making literally mixtapes or cds or burning a cd and then taking it around and dropping it off to a few people um nowadays there's platforms that you can use to to get your mixes out there things like mixcloud soundcloud etc you can promote your mixes through that. Um, so yeah, it was a little bit of that. It was also a little bit of just hanging out in record shops, meeting people in record stores, talking to people that who are browsing the same area as you in a record shop. Who knows? You never know. You might end up just sparking a friendship anyway. And that's how I met Louis. That's how I met Louis. Uh, was, our mutual was, friend, Louis. Yeah, yeah. was in um, HMV. I think Louis was about 16, 17 years old. I was maybe 20, 21, something like that. But we were both shopping in the drum and bass section. I was like, I'm going to talk to you. 
So yeah, and we've ended up being mates for as long as we've probably known each yeah, other as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so there, there's definitely there's definitely that. Another good place to start is by starting your own night. Run your own event. Rather than try and piggyback off other people's, start off by trying to build a little community of your own. And I think that there's successful people who have done that. There's, um, there's one particular label based in South London who I think have really nailed that called Rhythm Section. Um, it's run by a guy called Bradley Zero. He started off putting on nights in Canavan's Pool Club on Rye Lane in Peckham. Um, it's a pool club. It's not a nightclub, it's a pool club. They happen to have quite a decent system in there. But people are in there to play pool, and he just started running events in there. Seven years later, and he is touring globally as well as all of his artists, selling units like you, There's No Tomorrow. Like, I don't even know how many he presses. Like, he presses a lot of vinyl <laughs> and gets rid of it all. Um, he's constantly, he's just had a residency on one or on BBC Radio One. He's been doing like a, every once a month, Saturday nights on Radio One. Um, like he's he's absolutely nailed it and was there probably just there's a little bit of luck in it I'm sure but just at the right time like seven years ago in Peckham was when it was still cool and not too pretentious there was it was it was a lot rough around rougher around the edges and I think he just got it at just the right time do you know what I'm going to disagree with you that I feel like I feel like we look at we look at the past with rose-tinted glasses and we go, it allows us to say, oh, but it wouldn't work now. I guarantee if the, the same guy with the same drive, he might not be in that pool hall. Yeah. He might be somewhere else. But seven years on from now, if he was yeah. starting from zero now, he'd be in pretty much the same place, I yeah, believe. I, 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 I agree with you. But like I said, I still do think there's a little bit of luck just in, For sure. just in time and placement and the kind of music that you're playing. Um, it just hit the right nerve at the right time. And I think that there's a skill to that. And to like feeling the crowd, like feeling the people. Yeah, to feel what people are after. And what he plays is not like, it's not like a club set. You wouldn't necessarily call it a club set. Like finishing off with something like Cinnamon or something like, um, like that. that's not a club set, that's a jazz tune, right? But... Before that, he might have been playing some house or he might have been playing some hip-hop or some neo-soul. And so I just think that just timing-wise that there was something about it that just sparked it off and it just blossomed into this into this series of parties. And his ethos as well is one, uh, two decks, one mixer, one red light and no phones on the dance floor. That's it. That's how he runs his parties. And no matter where they now take rhythm section, that's how the parties run. Two decks, a mixer, a red light, and no phones on the dance floor. That's beautiful. That's it. That's And so, yeah, they're now doing nights at Jazz Cafe, at Corsica Studios. They're doing stuff up in Scotland. They're doing stuff in Manchester. They're doing stuff in Liverpool. They're running big New Year's Eve parties. They're doing, you know... Big stuff all over. Bradley's always out in Australia playing, in China, in Japan. Like He's managed to take that small brand. And, and I think that that was almost like a springboard for the whole of the South London scene. And because it, it encapsulated so many different styles of music, it opened people up to a lot of different things. 
and just sort of being in South London, you get so many different types of music anyway. Yeah. Do you think like we're moving away from the the hip hop night, the funk night? Yeah. To... Well, yes and no. Yes and no. I think people are up for hearing lots and lots of sound, lots and lots of different sounds. There's last couple of years there's been a massive resurgence in like people really digging African sounds and original sort of Afrobeat, seventies Afrobeat, things like that. You'll hear that in clubs a lot. But then the adv- like the, the good thing about that is that tempo wise it sort of fits in with today's house music. So people started mixing in house music into Afrobeat stuff and then that happens to fit in with a jazz tune and so you can drop a jazz tune into a house tune that's come out of an Afrobeat and people just started just getting and and again the internet like you can find things like websites like Discogs if you want to buy vinyl like means that you've got a record shop while you're sitting in your front room which was something that we never had like I, when I was when I first started I went out I had to dig I had to go to record find, shops yeah. and find what you find and if you're lucky and you pick something up and you're like well it's got the right sort of instruments on that I would like it looks kind of interesting maybe I'll have a listen to it whereas now you could just you hear a tune in a club you can shazam it you can go <laughs> home and you can find it like you might have to pay 500 quid for it but if if it if that's the case and you're not up for spending 500 quid on the vinyl someone will have it up as an mp3 somewhere oh. and you can ha- and you can be playing that tune the next night when you dj do you use mp3s or vinyl or a mix i use majority vinyl um i still believe that that's the best medium and music sounds better on vinyl anyway uh if i can't buy it on vinyl but i really want to play it then i'll play it as an mp3 or if it hasn't come out yet if it's like an exclusive or pre-release or something then i'll play it off mp3 and so when you when you're buying vinyls is that an investment into you playing out or is it just a hobby and something that you oh no no no. i mean that's an investment into me playing out like i I play out regularly um last year i was invited to be uh one of the dimensions uh, dj directory members so basically dimensions is a festival in croatia that they run every summer and um Two years ago, they had a a project that they wanted to launch called the DJ Directory, which was basically a load of DJs that they that the Dimensions crew really like, but who they feel are underrepresented in the music scene. And they chose twenty people to start off with, twenty DJs from around the country to start off with. And I was well, number one in the chain. Incredible. I opened up I opened yeah. up the mix series um, for that uh, for that project, and they they've been really great. They've done a lot. For everyone on the directory, they quite madly they put a few um, billboards up, just with all of the directory names in big, and then all the big artists in small, <laughs> just like round Shoreditch and stuff. Like Perfect. Dave Core on a massive billboard was like pretty nuts, but um, but yeah, like I've I've done loads of stuff for them. I've done events for them. I've done some radio shows for them. I got to interview Krangbin. I don't know if you know Krangbin band you'd love them they're great that was a good that was a bit of a highlight they're from texas they're they're like super cool yeah um got all fanboy but yeah so yeah so no it, it is an investment I, I do a radio show as well i do a monthly radio show and then i get the odd sort of guest spot um on a couple of other radio stations as well like 
Giles Peterson's Worldwide FM and Nettle Radio and NTS Radio and things like that. So yeah, it's definitely it's an investment for me. Our other mutual friend, always mm. um, in the music, Oliver Sudden, mm-hmm. the uh, the rapper, he uh, he's a bit obsessed with the old digging in the crates yeah. and finding that finding those gems. finding those gems, yeah. man. I mean, there's nothing like it. Finding stuff that other people don't know about is the stuff he finds in charity shops is yeah. incredible. The, the stuff that people throw away is stupid. No, <laughs> it's amazing. It? Like, um, Ollie's great and, at finding tunes. Johnny has a knack for finding stuff that when he, like, he, he'll pay 50p for it and then get it home and it's like a £600 record. Um, that There's a knack for that as well, and I think he's got that knack. But, um, but yeah, what people throw away is mental. Yeah. And if, you know, you can go and pick it up for 25p then you're going to go and do that, right? So was it was it your dad who got you into music when you were younger? Yeah, I guess it was both my folks, really. Like, dad was definitely big on the jazz thing. Like, that was that was his music through and through. Um, he lives in New York. He'd spent sort of the 50s in New York, pretty much, just listening to jazz and hanging out. We could probably do a whole podcast on your dad, just from things yeah. that you've told me through the years, just little little stories here and there. It's just, it's one of those things, like, you want to believe what your folks tell you, because they're your folks. Yeah. And then something that your folks have told you actually happens, or they're recognised by someone who you're like, whoa. Like, um, my dad... Uh, we were, we'd gone to Ronnie Scott's to see a gig and he knew the guy on the door and we'd got a refund and we ended up sitting on a table with Michael Moore all night and that was really weird but as in the as in Michael film, Moore film yeah. documentary maker <laughs> yeah <laughs> so weird it was <laughs> weird as night and I, I think I, I was probably 19 or 20 and I don't think I probably appreciated it as much as I should have but just before the gig started my dad said to the guy who was running the place was is, is Joe around he was like yeah he's just over the road it was Ronnie Scott um, he was just over the road in the Bar Italia in the little cafe opposite Ronnie's watching the football and we've walked in and if you know music if you know a band called Weather Report from the 70s there was a guy called Joe Zavanaugh who ran Weather Report he was like the brains behind Weather Report and we've walked in and he's looked at my dad and gone fifth <laughs> and I, like I say, I don't think I fully appreciated it at the time because I'd been playing keys for a long time, but I wasn't really big on synths and jazz and synths in jazz, um, which I now really I was going to say. <laughs> but um, I knew who, you know, I knew who he was, but if I'd have really known who he was, I would have chewed his ear off for like an hour, like, tell me everything, <laughs> like all of the tricks. Um, yeah, just one of those... Yeah, he would deserve a podcast on his own. I think yeah. my dad, yeah, definitely. Back to the expansions. Mm. Um, so I think, like, your path has been, like, kind of all over the place, but kind of step-by-step step as yeah. well. We interviewed Emma Gannon for the podcast, and her book, right. uh, Multi-Hyphen Method, is super helpful for me in describing, mm. like, Basically, every guest that we have on is a multi-hyphenate. So there's someone who does a multitude of different things. Right. Yours are all music-related, but mm-hmm. you've got kind of... So in order to keep the lights on, you're playing gigs, you're doing yep. radio shows, mm-hmm. you're, um, you're playing mm-hmm. DJing as yep. well. Talk a little bit about the record label. So that's called Albert's Favourites. We've been functioning, I guess, legitimately 
and properly for like three years. Although we've sort of taken a few of the old expansions releases and sort of re-released them, I guess. When we first started out, it was just like, we might as well just put everything out. Because it's myself and Johnny, um, the drummer from Expansions, and another friend of ours, a guy called Adam Scrimshire, um, who run the label. And yeah, so when we first started, uh, it was primarily, I guess, to serve us to put our music out but rather than so me and johnny had expansions johnny's got a solo project of his own i've got a solo project of my own adam's got a solo project of his own and me and adam also have a project together called modified man and so as a result we were like well it would be great if everything sort of directed back to just one umbrella term that we're all under um and so Adam had wanted to start a label for quite a while. He already was working at a label, um, a record label called Wawa 45. Shout out Wawa 45s. Um, look them up if you don't know them. They're really great. Um, and so he'd got quite a few years of experience, uh, invaluable experience, from working at Wawa. <coughs> and from working with acts that have sort of come either from a major record label, there's one band that they work with who were previously signed to Sony, um, or groups like one of the groups that they have is a guy called Delis Osimi, who was part of Fela Kuti's band back in the 1980s, part of Egypt 80, who was his band leader and arranger. Yeah, I know, it's incredible. <laughs> like sitting down with Dele and just chatting with Dele and he's like first-hand stories of Fela. It's just like, it's mind-blowing. But um, so he's got, it's a really diverse label um, and they've got people from all different sort of areas of the music business. Some who've had work with majors done before, some who've come from the Nigeria and the Nigerian scene, which is traditionally a lot more clean sounding, like production wise. It's, it's, they try and make it sound new and crispy and plasticky and when Wawa took them on they were like no we, we want you to sound like you would have sounded in the 70s please can we just record you onto tape and stuff like that so he's got a, he's got a load of like great experience um, and background and so yeah that was sort of the idea behind it was that it was just going to be us um, and that we would open it up in in due course and we've got we've still got more plans for the label there's there's a sort of line of business that we're trying to go down. We haven't quite worked out exactly how to do it yet, but essentially we're almost trying to make it a cooperative. Um, but we haven't worked, we haven't quite figured it all out yet. Um, but essentially, that would mean that any of the artists that are on our label actually own a stake in our label, and would benefit off the back of that uh, of any money that comes in. So we're sort of working towards that. And then the last couple of years, we've been putting out releases from. Johnny and the expansions and myself and Adam's got an album that's going to be coming out shortly and we've got a few other people sort of in the pipeline and then we met this guy called Hector um, Hector Plimmer uh, who is probably one of the nicest men on earth one definitely one of the most humble but also a fantastic composer and me and Adam were up at a, like an in-store in Sounds of the Universe in Soho and Hector was supporting a guy called Wulu, um, who I also randomly play keys for. Um, and me and Adam were sort of stood at the back and one of Hector's tunes came on and we both just had that like that moment where you look at each other and you're like, yeah, 
yeah, we should we should talk with this guy. <laughs> and so we ended up chatting to him. And he became sort of our first signing from outside of our group of people um, or, or out the immediate sort of three founders of the label. And through Adam's contacts and experience, we've managed to get um, a good distribution deal with a digital distributor um, who were then able to sort of punt out all our music to Spotify, to all the digital, to all the online stores, things like that, um, which made that part of our job a lot easier but for physical products and we 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 wanted to press vinyl we didn't we didn't do cds or tapes or anything like that but for the physical side of it we didn't have any sort of distribution deal so cue me in my ford focus driving around to all the shops that i could find and trying to sell people records um and that in itself and when when is this this was like this was three years ago. This was when we first started. Amazing. So, so 2015. Putting the legwork in. Yeah. Like literally driving to Fonica, Sounds of the Universe, Love Vinyl. Uh, I don't know. Like just as And many- what would you do? Would you walk in with the vinyl and be like, play this? Just and- Yeah. I'd be like, do, wow. you, do you do Sale or Return? Can we get can we leave a few of these with you? We'll be back in a month. I'll pop back in a month and see how many you've sold. And bit by bit, things started to pick up. And the first release that we put out um, was one of Johnny's tracks, uh, which then sort of led to an album. Um, but we put out a seven-inch of one of Johnny's tunes, and that did started to do really well. Got picked up by BBC Six. Lauren Laverne played it. Um, she was really into it. Hugh Morgan played it as well. Um, and then and Hughie's been Hughie's been like huge, and you, you guys. Hughie's been it. so good to us, man. Hugh's been so good to us. He's he's just a constant source of support. Like, I, yeah, can't fault him. That's in fact, amazing. in fact, BBC Six in general, to be totally honest, have been really good, really, really good to us. Um, they've really supported and really got behind us as a label. Um, and I think that sort of very much exposed itself when, when we dropped Hector's track um, or the first track off the album. And it was just, it was like a domino effect. Like, there's no other way to describe it. Like, it got played by, I think Giles played it first on six. And then, and then like, I think Lauren, or no, Tom Ravenscroft then picked it up. And then Lauren played it. And then, like, it got played by Steve Lamack. And then it got played by, like, it was literally, it was getting played. Like, one guy played it on breakfast. Then someone else played it a couple of days later on the morning show. And a couple of days later, someone played it on the drive time show or whatever. And, like, it just it just snowballed. What I really want people to take home from this that are, that are listening to this is, like, mm. you get to that stage by, like, you've just got to keep planting your flags yeah. in different mountains. <clears throat> like, yeah, totally. And because I know that someone's going to be listening to this and going, mm. well, you know someone at Six Music, so it's... Yeah, but you didn't know someone at Six yeah. Music. They yeah. heard your track. Yeah. And because it's so good, yeah. like so good that it can't be ignored to quote Carl Newport. Yeah. Uh, Cal Newport. <laughs> um but like if you're putting out if you're if you're making something that's amazing, mm-hmm. it will take time. Yeah. You just have to keep putting it in different Absolutely. places. Absolutely. I think a, a really nice metaphor for that is you kind of talked about the domino effect. But you've constantly been setting up those dominoes for yeah. years. Yeah. And it's that kind of little catalyst, yeah. you knock it. And suddenly every single thing you set up is then yeah. slowly getting knocked down. It's exactly. going boom, 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 boom. Exactly. But if you hadn't done all those things, mm-hmm. it'd be a really underwhelming mm-hmm. domino. That's like snake. Yeah. So spot on. 
That is yeah. absolutely spot on. And I mean, all of these six music presenters, they're all listening to each other's show. When mm. they're driving in, they're mm. listening to whoever's on yeah. before them. And if one track jumps out because it's yeah. so damn good, they're yeah, going to be yeah, like, well, yeah. I've got to play that for my listeners. Yeah, totally. So through your own curation of, mm. of having a good ear and knowing what's, what's a hit, essentially, yeah. you're able to then, by being known as we're the label that only puts out the best tunes, like yeah. you've got good quality control, yeah. they now trust that name to go... Mm-hmm well, if it's come from you guys, it must be a good record. Mm. The The world that we live in now is yeah. music is free, Yeah, essentially. Um, yeah. So we have to work out other ways for the artists to mm. get to get paid. Um, obviously, physical physical copies of the, yeah. of the music, um, digital downloads, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, definitely using it as your calling card as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, the industry's changed from when it was the 80s when, you know, you released an album and that that was it. Like, that was what people were waiting for. And then you could tour off the back of it. Like now, you've got to have the album out. People need to be demanding that you go and play um, for them. But he's, you know, he's doing really well out of it. He got a really great, um, he got a sync with a Japanese tech company. Um, you might, you guys might not even know who it is. They do really like high-end tablets for drawing. Oh, Wacom? It might have been them. Yeah. Yeah, Wac- is it Wacom? Yeah. Yeah, Wacom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got a sync for them. Um, and that was fairly lucrative also, um, which is great because that's the other side of music, which is the publishing side of it, which is which can be a major money spinner. If you get into that side of things, then that's arguably where the majority of the money is in music now. Yeah. And um, with your releases, you've had quite a lot of success with, with like Pay What You Want. Yeah, we well, we started off with um, doing that with expansions. For the for the vinyl, obviously, we couldn't do a pay what you want. Yeah. We had to we had to give that a price. But for a digital file, it's a file. It's not. There's nothing physical there. Um, so yeah, we just do like pay what you want, and we found that nine times out of ten, people would actually pay rather than just take it for free. Yeah. Um, I think obviously there's a again it's the there's a value of giving something away for free, or pay what you want, and then people decide not to pay because. Ultimately, if you're doing it on a platform like Bandcamp or something like that, which is probably the major platform for direct-to-fan music, um, then you've got an email address from them. And then you've got a mailing list. And then your mailing list can be everything. Mm. Yeah, people underestimate the the mailing list, I think, because it was the old, like... 90s way yeah. of, of marketing mm. but it's super powerful isn't it's it? really powerful and there's so many tools out there that you can use like for free like if you have under a certain number of people that you're mailing like MailChimp or Mad Mimi or something for free you can email something like 2,000 3,000 people per month or send that many emails just with a simple newsletter like yeah. keeping people up to date with what you're doing and it's so powerful and what's even better is that the, they'll give you stats like on how many people have clicked on links within your email and like things like that. It's just, it's really it's vital super useful. to see I, I was having this conversation with my sister yesterday mm. and I was talking about the strength of, of an email list. Um, and she said, yeah, but people will just unsubscribe. I said, yeah, people will unsubscribe. Like think about when you unsubscribe from an email. Yeah. It's when they email you too often. Yeah. It's when 
the title doesn't match the contents. Yeah, so it's yeah, like yeah. clickbait. They get you into the email yeah. and then it's not what they promised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or it's just it just doesn't provide you value. That's yeah. when but if you're putting out quality where people are going to look forward to your email because they know what's yeah. inside it is going to be great, they're not unsubscribing. No, exactly. It's a simple process. Exactly. It's the same. I think people forget that it's like social media. People just unfollow you. And it's just so quick and so easy. Whereas like that, yeah, it's like you don't really unsubscribe to stuff unless it's something you didn't, you signed up to get something for free and you don't really care about it. But everyone who's mailing us, I've signed up to but because I cared about them. Yeah. You still follow it. It's like, yeah, a, that's like a, you're getting a proper form of proper follow. Exactly. And I mean, we're, we're approaching it from like, we'll email from expansions one week and then the next week we'll email from the label and <laughs> so we've just got like just every angle <laughs> just, then Johnny will do his one and then Adam will do his newsletter and we're like you know four weeks but it could they're all different it's not like we're repeating yeah. stuff it's all different links and stuff but it's just a constant source of communication with people people can drop messages back to you if they want to or like you say if they genuinely don't want to hear from you anymore they'll click unsubscribe if I, if I opened up our account right now, I reckon I've probably got 15, maybe 20 people out of close to two and a half, three thousand 3,000 that have unsubscribed. Mm. That's it. You've got to do them. Email lists are essential. Yeah, they're right. essential. Is there anything else other than the email list that you would kind of recommend people look into? Um, we, we do use Facebook. We do pay for advertising on Facebook. We don't, we're not super extravagant. Maybe we'll do 20, 25 pounds or something for a, a promotion, but then it's really got to be something that's interesting, something that's worth doing. Um, so any new release that we have, we'll do, um, we'll put a sponsored post up. Um, but we've, we've never done it where we've, where we've put a sponsored post up for people to like our page. It's always to people that have already liked our page. We're, we're advertising to them and their network um, rather than trying to just be too brutal and too upfront. Like, don't tag all your mates into every single post that you put up on Facebook. It's hella annoying. <laughs> just use a Facebook page. Yes, it might not get to everyone that you want it to, but you can post two, three times a day. You can do that, like... Post photographs, don't post links. Put one photo up at 8.30 in the morning, then another one at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, then another one at 10 o'clock at night because you never know who's just logging on in the States like or in Japan or somewhere where they're not in your time zone. Um, it can be a round-the-clock thing. There are websites that can help you do that. Things like Buffer are amazing. I don't know if you guys know that. Yeah, like Buffer's just incredible. Just Instagram posts or tweets or whatever. So we have an Instagram, we have a Twitter, we have a Facebook. That's about it. Like we don't really do anything outside of that, um, other than our email lists. Um, but if they're constantly growing and you're constantly getting people buying from your Bandcamp, then that's you know maybe an extra thirty people the next time you send an email, and then after that is an, it's another sixty people. So it's a constantly evolving thing. Um, yeah, I th but that's about it. Like we don't really, we don't really tend to do anything else. Like we don't do any flyering or anything like that. Um, what else is there to do? Is there anything like Snapchat? I'm not sixteen. Yeah. <laughs> like I haven't got that. I don't know. Do you got? What do you guys use? 
I'm going to throw it around. I'm going to interview wow. you now. <laughs> Is there like a list? <laughs> we use everything. Everything. I think all the things you've talked about. Networking mostly. Yeah. yeah. Networking people. Is a bit yeah. Different. People. Actually going out and talking Real people. to people. Yeah, yeah. That word of mouth yeah. is so totally. totally. I mean, that's what I was saying about driving around with bootfuls of records and going into record shops. You actually then get to talk to the people who you want to sell your record. If you can sell it to them and they like it, they will sell it to everyone else. If you're an arsehole <laughs> and, and they don't like you, then they're not going to do that. So you've got you to be pleasant to people. You've just got to be nice. But you just just be normal, just be human. Um, and people will help you, um, especially someone like a record shop, because they, if they're the right sort of record shop for you, they'll love the music that you're putting out. Uh, and if they want to sell it, it's because they like what you're doing and they'll want to pass it to other people. And so, you know, someone might crop up online that's like, yo, I got this at Love Vinyl yesterday and it's like, it's heat, you should get it. And they're holding your record. And that's uh, the only reason for that is because you went and spoke to the guy in the shop, chatted to him about your music, actually had a conversation with him. And then the next day, the, this other famous DJ's gone in and he's said, oh yeah, maybe you should check this out because you might like it. But yeah, without doing that, Having now, having now done that, when we actually got a distribution deal for the label to do our physical stuff, it then made it even easier because we put the legwork in to start with. So instead of going up to the record shops, we get emails from like guys in the record shops saying, Have you, are you coming in with that new release? And we're like, no, man, you've got, you've got to call a distributor now. And it's someone that they all know. Mm. Um, so it's not like they don't... It's just this company that's now dealing with all our distribution. So now I no longer have to subject my car to like kilos and kilos <laughs> of vinyl in the boot. Um, but I, I, but that was part of it that I really enjoyed. That was part of it that I, you know, that you get a lot from, like just putting that little bit of time into to, to actually go and chatting to people. So yeah, networking, hundred percent. Yeah. So I mean, we might have covered it there already, but um, you function as a mentor for quite a lot of like young musicians yeah. and there's a lot of, of young musicians who are always like asking you questions like mm-hmm. is there kind of one key piece of advice for for a, specifically for musicians to, that are trying to make don't it? spend your time going to like jam sessions that are just going to sort of rinse out old classic tunes spend your time actually going out there and being creative which is what a musician is supposed to do um, play with as many people as you possibly can get out there and learn as much as you possibly can like every time like I think I said it right at the start like every time you play with someone new you learn something from it like I had an amazing experience a couple of years back I got to play with who's probably now considered one of the best sort of young jazz drummers in London um, with him and a group of other musicians who are sort of all of that kind of caliber and again imposter syndrome didn't feel like I should have been there really felt like literally days before it sat there like playing scales like practicing and stuff like <laughs> I've got to be good at this gig and it turned out great but what I actually learned from it has then allowed me to then sort of go on and do stuff and essentially what it was was it was an hour, what turned into an hour and a half concert that was completely improvised, like a hundred percent. Like we, like I hadn't even met the guitarist until sound check. I didn't know who she was. 
um, a girl called Shirley Tete. She's just won the Parliamentary Award for Best New Jazz Artist um, or new Newcomer, Best Newcomer. Um, incredible guitarist. And um, a guy called Anance, who's a saxophone player who runs an event called Steam Down, which happens in Deptford every Wednesday night, which is doing amazing things as well. Um, and who else was it? Yeah, so uh, Nubaya Garcia, who's another saxophone player who's doing incredible things. She's working with all sorts of people. She's constantly jetting backwards and forwards from the States to India, to here, to there, to Australia. To They're doing really great stuff. And then the drummer was this guy called Youssef Days, who was part of Youssef Kamal Trio, which came out two years ago. Um, and he's now just, yeah, blown up, basically. Um, and to sort of, it was the five of us just in brilliant corners in East London, just pretty much as acoustic as we could get. Um, sold out event, 80 people, and we had to perform for an hour and a half, having never even met before. <laughs> <laughs> <That's crazy. laughs> and do, just doing stuff like that was just like, okay, I can do that. Like I thought that that might just be well out of my grasp, but actually that was kind of fun. Um, yeah, throwing throwing yourself into yeah. these situations. When can I do? When can we do that again? Yeah, yeah. And I, so I've ended up doing loads of stuff like that. There are now quite a few sort of open jam nights, and I think yeah. From a, I know so many musicians who fall into the trap of going to a jam night like where they just play Motown classics or Stevie tunes, and all you have to do is solo over the top of it. Like, and whoever solos the fastest is the the best. Go somewhere that's actually going to push you somewhere. Yeah. Go somewhere where you can actually get something from that yeah. investment that you're putting in. Because th things like that will not be paid. Probably won't be paid. Like, you'll be lucky if they're paid. But you'll get something from it. Yeah, and I think, like, if you're if you're making hip-hop, like, go to a, like, house night. Like, yeah. if, you're, if you're making yeah. jazz, then, like, Absolutely. just mix it up. And, mm. yeah. Absolutely. Find out, like, if you're a musician, you're supposed to know about music not just one genre you're supposed to know about music be it classical like i've over the last couple of years i've got really back into sort of just putting classical music on and just chilling out and listening to that but then i don't think that i would would have necessarily had the arrangement for like the expansion stuff for when i arranged the string quartet had i not done that last when i mean you know when i grew up I, or when i was growing up i was playing lots of classical music in school but that was in school that was a good few years ago and so listening back to classical music sort of inspired me to get the string quartet in and how to score for that. And just, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a constant learning process. Never think that you've learned everything because you haven't. Like, <laughs> you haven't. You yeah. haven't. Um, where can people find you online? Everywhere. I'm, um, no, I'm not omnipresent. Um, <laughs> you can find us at albertsfavorites.com on Facebook. Albert's favourites on Instagram Albert's faves um, you can also find the expansions you'll find us on well if you just type in Albert's favourites into Spotify you'll find all of our artists um, and probably a few playlists from some of these artists and of tunes that they like tunes that they dig but, um, but we're on Bandcamp as well we're on SoundCloud we're on Twitter uh, and that's about it. And we're in real shops as well. If you want to buy real vinyl, you can pop. And if your if your local record shop doesn't stock it, demand that they do. So, I'm so excited to see where you guys go. And, uh, 
Right. Anytime, man. Thanks for listening. We're trying to help a lot of people with this show, so we need your help to grow the community and spread our message. If you know someone who'd benefit from hearing what we talked about today, or they just need a little nudge in the right direction, pass this podcast on to them. If you want to hear more, then subscribe to us on iTunes. And if we helped you with anything, we'll really love you forever if you can leave us an iTunes review. It makes a huge difference. See ya.